¿Qué onda, amigos? Hey, first off, I want to thank Gary and Alice for donating to the podcast recently. High five, Gary and Alice. You are helping this show continue. And if, uh, if you guys don't know, that's how I support the show. It's through Patreon. And if you donate even just a few bucks a month, you get entered into the running where I donate gear from my surf sponsors like Patagonia Provisions, Section 9 Skateboards, RPM Fitness. So if you donate you know, five, ten bucks a month to the podcast, you could get a skateboard sent to your doorstep or a fitness kit. Or even some Patagonia food. So it's a good deal, and I really uh, appreciate it. And even if you can't donate, I totally understand. Just listening, I appreciate it. Sending it off to a friend, talking about it, um, I appreciate it all. All right, let's get this bad boy going. This episode is with Paige Alms. Oh, before, sorry, before I say that, go to my website, kyle.surf, not kyle.surf.com, just kyle.surf. That's where you can find all the podcasts, all the mini documentaries that I've made, and that's where you can donate to Patreon. All right, here we go, for real this time. Paige Alms is the current women's big wave world champion. And I'm just going to say it, the, she's the best big wave surfer on the, woman's big wave surfer on the planet. She's also a really good uh, small wave surfer. Super cool woman. Um, curious, smart, hardworking. Uh, she's been nominated for the past four years in a row at the XXL Awards, and she's won the women's best overall performance for the 2014-15 season. And I have a feeling that she's going to be around for a long time coming. I really enjoyed the conversation. Uh, if you like this episode, be sure to reach out to Paige on Instagram. Um, tell her you enjoyed it. And uh, without further preamble, please welcome the current women's big wave world champion, Paige Alms. Kyle Tierman here. I'm in Cape Town. I was the only journalist in northern Nigeria. Not an adventure until you get lost in Tijuana. You get caught inside by a giant wave, you feel really alone. I love the adventure of waking up and not knowing what will happen and that being my job. I'm standing at a desert oasis right now. A lot of tourists don't see this part on Bali. Smiles and thumbs up. Thumbs up. I never know how to start podcasts. It's always such a random thing. Just it's listen to the beginning of Greg's. You did a good job. You're did just I? Like introducing, yeah. Uh, it's good. Oh, thanks. I think we started that one talking about tequila. Maybe we we'll didn't do, get there. Maybe we'll do I the same heard, thing here. I just heard the first thirty. Yeah. Seconds. What's What's your favorite kind of drink to order at a bar? That's one of my. Are we favorite. starting? Oh yeah, we're going. <laughs> um, favorite drink to order at a bar. It depends what kind of mood I'm in, I guess. Oh yeah. Um. What about the celebratory one after a big wave session? Ooh, beer on the jet ski. Oh, yeah. For sure. <laughs> on the way back. <laughs> do people bring out uh, a lot of beers in um, the lineup? Not really, but we do. Yeah. <laughs> on, on the cooler and the jet ski, that's definitely a priority. Make sure there's a sunset beer for mm. the ride home. What kind? Whatever's in the fridge. Yeah. Yeah, uh, when I had Kai Lenny on a couple days ago, he told me about his love affair with Taco Bell. Oh my gosh, it's real! <laughs> oh, it's real! It's he, real. He said that he'll bring out uh, thirty bean and cheese burritos sometimes. 
Yeah, yuck. <laughs> it's crazy. I'm like, I don't know what his theory is on that, but it makes him feel good and gives him energy. I'm like, okay, sure. It's working. It's, yeah. it's working. I don't know about burping up bean and cheese burrito while you're like out at a session. Maybe it's, it's a last meal kind of thing. Like if you had one meal left, bean and cheese burritos from it's Taco crazy. Bell. <laughs> yeah. What's your uh, go-to stuff when you go out to a session out there? Um, I usually eat pretty light. I don't usually have a big meal or anything before going out for a session. It's, I don't know, you're almost so nervous that you can't eat kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but I'll bring some bars out on, on the ski and a lot of water and um, like electrolytes and that sort of stuff. It's usually, it's kind of funny because I usually tend to crash afterwards. I get really tired after being like in the sun for like, if you're out at Jaws, you're out for a long period of time and even more so just mentally exhausted from being out there. But, um, I'd say electrolytes are kind of key for me to keep it going. Yeah. You're in the tropics too. It's so hot and sunny out there. It's hot for sure. Hot. It's nice. You love it. (laughs) You love it. It's normal for you. Yeah. And so you grew up on Maui. I did. Nice. What was that like? Um, I think it's the best place ever to grow up. Like I moved to Maui. I was born in Victoria in BC, Canada. And my mom and I left there when I was seven and traveled around Australia for almost a year. Um, camping, living out of van, out of, out of a van and um, moved to Maui when I was nine. So I went to school and high school and everything on Maui. And I consider that home for sure. Um, it's pretty awesome being able to go to the beach every day and it's so um, easy it's easy and it was something that my mom kind of always um supported and she's like let's go to the beach you know like you got to be in the water every day yeah um so it's pretty special for sure there's such a cool talent pool that came that has come out of maui too for sure for a small place and there being only a few spots that most of the people tend to surf it's ridiculous how many amazing surfers come out of that area. For sure. I think it's just a hub. It's like Maui's one of those special places in the world that um, either pulls you in and like loves you or spits you out really quick. It's a pretty like spiritual, magical place for sure. Yeah, powerful energy. For sure. And um, with that, we have a lot of different weather patterns and everything. And um I think that's what is the most special part of Maui and the reason why there's so many different athletes and different water athletes from there is you can do anything on Maui as far as being in the ocean from wind to stand up to surf to everything. Like it's a good place to learn how to do everything. Yeah. You can be in the water 365. Yeah. Literally. Do you, uh, windsurf or do any of those other sports? I wouldn't say that I'm proficient at them but I have done them and it's kind of a goal actually this summer is to get a little bit better at kiting and windsurfing. I have a lot of like some of my best friends are, um, kiters, windsurfers, and it's kind of just now being looked at differently. And I really want to, um, kind of grab onto that and try something different and I've done it, but I'm just not good at it. (laughs) It's, It's fun being at the beginning stages of a new sport. It is, and it's so frustrating. Oh, yeah. Windsurfing is hard. Like, kiting, you can pick up pretty easily. Like, people learn how to kite in a couple weeks. Windsurfing, it's like, it takes a good year, I'd say. And I think that's one reason why I never got really good at it is because I've never allowed that time to learn and get really good at it. Yeah. But it's so fun, and it's nice to learn something new and different and 
be like constantly improving and so you want to get uh, more into windsurfing this summer or just kiting right now i think both, both. and foiling i'm going to do it all this summer nice <laughs> i love it what's so hard about windsurfing you're sailing a boat basically but you're on a tiny little board and there's just so much gear and so many things to learn like surfing you can go out on a board with a set of fins and a leash and you can ride waves um and there's so much to learn about the sail, the board, what it's doing, the wind direction, the chop, the, there's just so many variables, I think. Yeah. Um, the equipment matters a ton in those it's sports. It's crazy. You need a lot of gear and for all different conditions, like you need a different sail, a different board, a different everything. And I think that's, I don't know. I think that's some of the challenges that come with it is getting to know your gear and what it's all meant to do. Yeah, absolutely. What's a day in the life in Maui for you? It varies. Yes. <laughs> Every day is different for me. Um, I'd say a work day. I work a couple nights at a restaurant, so I'll get up, go for a surf, um, probably go to the gym, spend some time on the computer in my garden, and then go to work. And I work evenings from 3 till 10, come home, go to bed. What do you work on <laughs> uh, in the gym? Oh, that's ever-changing, too. Yeah. Um, we kind of do a week. What, uh, do you, what have you found to be the most helpful for... Um, feeling confident in going out into big wave sessions just feeling uh, i don't know i'd gain confidence from spending time in the gym that's, oh absolutely that's something that i've in the past i'd say five years but more so seriously in the past three um speed agility strength just feeling good and your when your body's feeling good it's easy to um make that transition and just focus on the mental part of it and, uh, yeah, everything, everything that I do in there helps Yeah, or I wouldn't be doing it. <laughs> yeah. And then you work at a restaurant, uh, most nights of the week. I work two nights a week okay. at a restaurant and I kind of pick up a shift here and there, but it's a good, um, it's a really fun job. I, uh, work at the Paia fish market and it's one of the busiest restaurants in Paia. Okay. And it's actually owned by a big wave surfer, Yuri Soledad. He's from Brazil. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, it's a good job that allows me time to travel and get away also. So oh, that's cool. It's pretty easy to send a text out to the other girls and my shifts are covered and I'm on a trip the next day. Yeah. So the, that, the that's why I work there. <laughs> yeah. The, yeah. Having a job that respects your lifestyle is super important. Totally. And they're really supportive of it and it's awesome. I think that's a big, that's a big deal for a lot of big wave surfers is to have other people understand their worldview and how important this is to them and to really respect that. Um, and I, yeah, I've had conversations with a few big wave surfers where they felt like they really need to get that in order, um, in terms of having people in their lives and, and jobs that respected how important this is to them. For sure. And that's something like working there, it is a part-time job, but if I, if I couldn't get those shifts covered, like the owners and the managers and the, like the people that run the business would have it covered for right. me and they truly want to see me excel at what I truly love doing and that surfing and it's really nice to have that support from like your other side job, you know, like surfing is my real job. It's funny explaining that to people, but that's when, my primary focus and I need to make money to pay my bills on the side. Yeah. <laughs> when did you decide that surfing was going to be your main thing? Probably when I was 12. <laughs> that was soon as like I started surfing when I was like nine, 10 started competing. I think I did my first contest at within a year of learning how to surf and um 
Did you have much success in the junior Yeah, for sure. Form? I did the whole NSSA. I won the Explorer Championships my, the last year when I was a senior in high school and um, multiple state titles and all that sort of stuff. And um, I was a couple years older than Carissa and Alana and those girls and Coco, but those were all like the girls that I was competing against. Um, but yeah, I had a lot of fun doing it. And then the transition into going on the QS and was a little bit different for sure. And I didn't have a main sponsor at the time. So it was challenging. And Gosh, there's so much, so many costs associated with doing the QS. For sure. And if you're going to do the QS to qualify for the CT, like you really have to do all the events and you have to only focus on that. And I just didn't have the funding. And also at the time when I was trying to qualify, um, a lot of the best waves on tour weren't there. Fiji got cut, Tahiti got cut, Honolulu got cut. And I was kind of asking myself, like, what are you doing? Why do you even want to be on the tour? Yeah, questioning the premise. Yeah, I'm like, now for sure. Like, it looks amazing. But yeah, at the time it wasn't. And when you were doing that, were you also surfing big waves? I guess so. Like, it's always, it's kind of a matter of opinion of what's big, right? Right. On Maui, our everyday average surf is much bigger than a lot of places. Um, but as far as like big waves and towing and guns, I kind of started doing that. Um, I started surfing jaws when I was, the first session I had, I was 17. Um, and then like 18 onwards. Wow. Were there many other women, uh, surfing jaws before you? Um, just a few, um, Andrea Moeller and Maria Souza, they were kind of the only other two girls that towed out there at the time. So you started towing. Started when you were seven, surfing when you were yep. 17 yep. what was that first session like oh it was epic but it was almost like surreal like it didn't it felt like you didn't earn it really like it was too fun too much fun I didn't have a wipeout, so I didn't get that experience um but there was always something like okay the t it was so much fun but paddling yourself into a wave is just the best feeling ever and that came um like six years ago we started paddling out there and was we were shown that it was possible kind of thing. Yeah. How did that happen? Um, well, um, Danilo, Marcio and Yuri, the Brazilian guys, <laughs> the crew, the mad dogs, um, had paddled it on legitimate size on the left for years. And people had surfed out there and paddled on smaller days, but like legit big jaws days, those guys had been out and just stuck to the left. And then, um, Shane and Ian and that crew kind of there were only a few of them out the first few sessions and they kind of proved that you could do it on the right and um, I think the following year after that their sessions that's when a lot of the Maui crew were like hey this is our spot like let's try yeah some of the younger guys Alby and yeah Kai and, and Matt yeah. and Marlon and Billy and like that was that whole that, crew that's... that whole crew and those guys are all my really good friends and that's kind of the story is basically like they started getting into it and had a few sessions out there and I was like, Hey, I don't want to miss out. I want to do that too. Yeah. And that's basically like my first session I ever had out there was Matt and I'll be texting me like, it's perfect size. Like this is the session. Let's do it. Come down. Let's jump off the rocks. And yeah. yeah. Do you have a lot of guy friends? I do. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So a lot of times you're going surfing with those guys. Yeah. Like they're on kind of a different trip as far as like looking for windy airwaves and I'm like, oh, it's offshore and glassy and really <laughs> good. Yay. <laughs> um, but they're all really good friends of mine and um, it's fun being pushed by those guys out there for yeah. sure. Have you ever questioned uh, 
surfing jaws after a really bad wipeout for sure it's all like you have those moments where your mind kind of goes there and you're like why am i really doing this like that sucked and it shook you up but the highs that you get are so much better than the lows and so maybe for a split second but i've never had something where i'm like okay i don't want to do this anymore yeah and it's happened to a few people Mm -hmm. if you've seen throughout the years where they have a really bad one and then they decide that it's not worth it which is um a very sane way of of looking at things um and i'm always curious if there if there is one that is there one that ever stuck out to you where you really had to kind of question it and come back to it I had a really bad injury in Mexico four years ago, and that was something that kind of shook my world up. And I know everybody says, like, everyone gets injured, right? And especially doing what we're doing. But it really kind of changed my perception on um, on surfing and what I was grateful for and why I was doing what I'm doing. And that was probably a moment in my life where I was kind of like whoa but it never like shook me in a way where I questioned surfing again because that's what I love doing and it's I don't know it's the best part of my life I feel like I love being in the ocean yeah will you take me through that experience yeah it was um I had just gone down there I was in California for uh a few weeks leading up to that trip and um some of the Maui boys Yuri was on that trip and um a couple of other guys, they were like, hey, this is the trip to jump on. And so uh, they flew my boards over and I met them down there. And it was, uh, we got in in the afternoon and got set up and we woke up at dawn the next day. And it was the first day of the trip and it was firing. It was solid eight to 10 foot like Hawaiian. It was big and gnarly. And we were doing step offs off the jet ski. And that was the first time I've ever done that properly in like we've done it on Maui, but it's really bumpy on Maui. So we usually use straps, um, caught a few waves and I was like, this is the best thing ever. You just get barreled every wave. Yeah, and, it's, oh my God. It's complete cheating. Yeah. It's totally <laughs> it's, cheating. It's so fun. Um, but I was just kind of getting used to it and figuring out how to slow down basically. And I was just kind of getting in the groove and I got, um, one really good big barrel that I've never, I'd never at the time been in a wave that big. And it was funny. I was thinking about it today, actually, where I was like, wow, I think if I would have made that wave, I might not have hurt myself because I, the wave spit so hard that it knocked me off my board and I got really pounded. I got pushed into the sand and kind of shaken up and I was like, whoa, that was really intense. One of those ones where it spits so hard it hurts. Oh my God. That wave is so powerful. stinging feeling. It's insane. That's a whole nother level of interacting with mother nature. Yeah. And... I was the back spits where we'll go sucked back. <laughs> yeah. It was intense. You're like, holy shit, I'm small. Yeah. Yeah. So that was a lot of power. That was um I got my board and I was like, okay, well I need to make my last wave like one more. And it's always those one more waves, you know? And we sat out the back for I don't know, 15, 20 minutes kind of trying to find the right one and the wind switched a little bit. It wasn't blowing offshore and kind of was starting to crumble a little bit it was it should have been I should have went in on my last wave but um you always are on the hunt for one more always and um I got this wave and I thought I was in a really good spot but I was a little bit late I was a little bit behind and as I was bottom turning the wave basically just landed on my back I don't even know like exactly what happened but underwater like I 
don't think I've ever been hit so hard directly on my body. Yeah. And it just blew me up. And instantly I felt my shoulder pop out. And I'm not sure, because my top, my wetsuit top, I was wearing a top, got ripped off of me. And I'm not sure if the top, like, ripped it out of place or what happened, but... I knew something bad had happened right away in underwater and I came up and had to take three or four more on the head with no movement in my arm and just in so much pain. Oh, that's scary. And they finally got me on the jet ski and out the back. I could barely pull myself up. I was on, I was just in so much pain and I was screaming and, um, yeah, they got me out and got me in up on the sand and it was pretty traumatic. It was out and it looked really bad. And all the guys are like, let's not try and pop it back in. Like, let's take her to the hospital. Yeah. So then I was in a 45 minute bumpy car ride oh. <laughs> with a displaced shoulder. And that was the end of my trip, basically. And they took me to the, the doctor. I had to be sedated for them to pop it back in. They got me an x-ray and said nothing was broken, but it was an x-ray machine from probably the 1960s because <laughs> I have the x-ray and you definitely can't see much in it. Oh, um, wow. But I ended up having a fracture in the head of my humerus, which basically my rotator cuff pulled off a chunk of bone rather than tearing ligaments or tendons, which in the long run is supposed to be better, but I was out of the water for six months. Yeah. Dislocated shoulders are so fucking painful. It sucks. I, I never want to do it ever again. I dislocated my shoulder uh, on a trip down to Chile when I was 18 and it popped out and it didn't go back in. Mm. And the feeling of having a body part not be where it's supposed to be is a very disorienting feeling. I, feel I probably good. still have the... I don't know if you can little hear that. crack. Can yeah. hear that crack through the audio? Oh yeah, we both got this. We're just yeah. moving those shoulders around now. <laughs> yeah, but then when it pops back in... Oh, how good does that feel? Yeah. Well, I was asleep when they put mine back in. Oh, wow. So I woke up and I was like, oh, it's back in. <laughs> it was a good feeling yeah. for sure. Yeah. But, gotta love yeah. those drugs at the hospital. Yeah. Um. So that was out. You were out for a little while then. Yeah, quite a while. And I didn't um, have surgery at the time. And everyone said that I didn't need it. And it just was a lot of rehab. And it never felt better, I'd say. And I was in really good hands. I was really well taken care of. Had an amazing physical therapist, an amazing athletic trainer. And I got it to where I could surf. And it took a while to gain any confidence back in any size of surf. Um, but the following, this was um, in the summer. So I surfed Jaws, I'd say, two months after I started surfing again which was really scary and I played it really safe and just had kind of a mediocre safe winter and the following winter came back stronger than ever and got my jaws barrel <laughs> so um yeah through all throughout that it's a four-year injury I had shoulder surgery a year and a half ago oh you did I have a spot of necrosis in my shoulder which is dying bone from I think a bone bruise or um loss of blood flow when I injured it. Wow. Still dealing with it. So Yeah, dislocated shoulders um, are okay if you do it the first time, but the big risk is if you pop it out again and then the socket doesn't, the, the muscles around it don't tighten and then you turn into the person where you give someone a high five and your shoulder pops yeah. out. I have friends like that. It's horrible. Yeah. Mine's actually really tight, which is good. Well, the good thing is, is that one of the best uh, forms of physical therapy for a uh, dislocated shoulder is paddling. Swimming if you don't, and paddling. Swimming and paddling, which, yep. is, which is great. Uh, but you don't want to get blown up on a massive wave and have it pop out again. 
That's such a common injury for big wave surfers too. For sure. When you hit the water going that fast, it's like hitting concrete. And if you have your arm out, yeah, it's going to go somewhere. But now I tuck them in. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so what year was that? And then what year was the year that you got your famous Jaws barrel? So that was 2013. And I got... It was 2015, January, two years later. Yeah. Those waves don't happen very often. I uh, watch a lot of surfing and consume a lot of surf media, and I felt like that wave uh, sent ripples throughout the surf world of what is possible for women to do uh, in a unique way that doesn't happen very often. Yeah, for sure. It was it was almost like it didn't happen to me. It was, um, I still look at it kind of as a monumental moment in, in surfing and in women surfing and in big wave surfing. Um, but yeah, it was a pretty special thing for me. It was something I dreamt about. I almost believed that it wasn't possible. It was just kind of a far-fetched dream almost. And, um, for years watching Albie do it, I was like, I need to do that. And it was the perfect wave. It set up exactly how I dreamt of it lining up and coming off the bottom into the barrel. And yeah, it's, I can still remember the feeling and the, uh, the vision that I had. And it was, I think it was just a, it was something that was kind of meant to happen. And I just happened to be the person that it happened to, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. And isn't it interesting though, when, when you have to tell a story so many times and there's so much media around it that as you said the feeling is kind of disassociative of like wait oh that was me but when you tell a story so many times like you're you're almost like remembering the last time you told the story sometimes exactly yeah for sure and it's i don't know it was such a special moment such a beautiful bluebird day and it was gorgeous and um yeah when you talk about it so many times you're kind of repeating what you've talked about before and it's um, it's good to remember to go back to that moment because it was it was just beautiful. Yeah. Did your life change in a big way? Um, I wouldn't say so. I'd say for the couple weeks after that and being busy with interviews and talking about this wave, like I'd never had that sort of, I guess, media attention in a way. Um, but as far as like my lifestyle and um, what I do on a day-to-day basis, nothing really changed from that. No, except, except the way that I look at the waves at Jaws and the ones that I want to pick now. <laughs> oh, that's cool. That's very cool. Um, the nice thing about Maui is it's very unpretentious. For sure. Like there is that there, of course, but the people that I hang out with and my friends that, um, I surround myself with are not that way at all. Yeah, thank God. I, I love people from Maui. Most of the people who I've met there have been very real and down to earth. Yeah. I appreciate that so island. much. It's an island. Small place. Yeah. Got to keep it real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and let's talk about the Jaws event. Yeah. What do you think about that? It was windy. <laughs> it sure was windy. <laughs> it's funny. And footage, it doesn't do it justice. You know, you have to see it in person to right. understand what's going on out there. Uh, it, it, when you gave uh, went up the other night and gave your speech, accepting the women's uh, world championship, uh, you said you want to have the event back at Jaws again. For sure. It, and is that controversial? There are other women who don't want to have the event back there? For sure. Um it is a pretty big discussion. It's something that's kind of going around now. And um, 
being one of a few girls that consistently surf out there and yeah it's my home big wave break and it's I've grown up on Maui and been surrounded by that wave so to speak um for my whole life so of course I want it to be at home but the other part of it is I truly believe that that's the best big wave in the world it is the best platform for people to showcase their surfing not just like riding waves and bombing down and going straight um the performance level of where big wave surfing is going is being pushed there the most i think um that's my personal opinion I, I agree has, everyone has opinions but um I, I think that it's it's not not too up for debate i think that jaws is the best big wave in the world but the consistency so. <laughs> of rides that go down there maybe you could catch a taller wave at other spots mm-hmm. Uh, but to be able to ride the wave and the progression that's been happening out there, um, so consistently, um, is the proof is kind of in the pudding. Yeah, for sure. But it's a heavy fucking wave and you can destroy yourself. It's really intimidating. Every time I go out there, I'm scared. So, um, just getting back to the contest part of it, it's, I've never really believed in big wave surfing, the competitive aspect of it, um, I find it more of like a personal experience and it's really, really special. And of course, like people that don't surf and people that are really competitive want to see those contests go on. And it, it like when you're introducing someone to a non-surfer, having a world title or a championship trophy or these awards, it gives it, I don't know, it's easier for people to relate to, I guess. Um, But for me, having an empty lineup is very rare <laughs> and especially at jaws like i've had it a few times where it's been barely breaking and glassy and nobody knew that it was breaking that sort of thing but like a legit day you're never going to surf there by yourself or with five other people so that part of it for me i think is what it's all about yeah and there's uh there's no uh handouts for women in big wave surfing when you're a woman amongst a group of men who are also trying to get the biggest ways of their lives i can just speak from surfing mavericks when you have uh, a girl like savannah or bianca out like people don't give a fuck they, yeah. they want to go get the biggest wave of their life yeah you're so, not you're not gonna give bianca a wave <laughs> I and mean, yeah you, it's those days don't happen very often at all so women are on that playing field with a bunch of men, right? It's it's like the WNBA having to compete with the men's NBA on the same basketball court. So I do think that for the opportunity for a woman like yourself who actually wants to go out there and catch a bomb and get barreled on it, you kind of have to give, you have to give you that opportunity. And if other women are too scared to do that, in my opinion, they shouldn't, be, they shouldn't be in the contest then if they don't want to do it because I don't think that it's very interesting to see a group of women in 10 to 12 foot big waves see that's that's what we're kind of talking about right now and um, I think everyone is allowed to feel and have their opinion right but for me I'm not going to travel halfway around the world to go surf 10 to 12 foot mediocre big waves um, I can do that at home and Um, We have other outer reefs that you can go and have those sessions where there's not very many people around. It's not as big and it's not as, um, as heavy. Yeah. And um, where my headspace is at is I want to push myself in the biggest, gnarliest, best waves. 
Um, but that being said, like there aren't like Nazare, I'm, I don't know if that's somewhere that I really want to go when it's huge and terrifying and the likelihood of you actually catching a wave is very slim. But as far as Jaws goes, that's like, that's where I want to be. And I think that's the best place to have a real legitimate platform for women's big wave surfing to push the level um, of the sport and showcase the best surfing in best in the best wave. Yeah. Do you have any interest in Mavericks? Yeah, I've been there a couple times. Um, every time that I've been out, there's been 70 guys out. Yeah. Um, for me, it's a complete change being in cold water. And that's something that I need to get used to if I'm going to travel more and surf big waves. But um, yeah, that place is amazing. And the wave and the way the water moves is just really special for sure. How so? just the way the wave breaks and the steepness and how fast it goes. It's similar to Jaws in that sense. Um, the the getting used to a, a really compact crowd is where I think um, you kind of need to have a different headspace. I'm, I go out and I'm like soulful zen at Jaws. Even if there are a lot of people, it kind of spreads out a little bit more. But um, yeah, I think having a event at Mavs would be awesome for the women to have an empty lineup and be able to like sit where you want to sit and whip it on a good one for sure. Exciting times, exciting time. Uh, and right now you're still working at the restaurant, but the goal is to have opportunities to be able to do this full time. That's the goal for sure. You'd think that the women's world champion would be able to surf big waves professionally full time. It'd be nice. That would be nice. <laughs> That's my goal is hopefully in the next um, few years here that that is a, a a normal for the girls that are growing up now. Um, what, do you, what do you think needs to happen for that uh, shift to take place? There's a lot of things. And I think the industry needs to back big wave surfing a little bit more. Like even a lot of the top men that are big wave surfers and championships don't like champions and have all these titles and everything they don't have main sponsors too so it's not just women um but yeah i don't know it's about selling board shorts and bikinis yeah it's selling product but also i think big wave surfing appeals more to outside of the industry and if you put on big wave surfing anywhere in the world people are like whoa you know it's it's a has the wow factor for um the non-endemic yeah you don't, you don't need to explain to a non-surfer why it's impressive yeah whereas they, if, they you, get if, it you, right if you see philippe toledo do a full rotation alley-oop you have to explain why how difficult cool. yeah, how difficult <laughs> that was yeah um yeah so there is the draw there are the numbers when when those events do happen but the inconsistency makes it difficult i guess for for industry to really get behind it yeah i think it's instead of like a live like there's a lot of live viewership now on these big wave events especially the jaws one i think the first one um i was told that it was the most viewed contest ever for any surf contest wow um i don't know about this one but i know it's like a huge thing when the jaws contest runs the wsl make sure everyone in the surf industry knows that it's running and they're doing a really good job now where you can turn on a surf event and understand what's going on they're making it more of a show that anyone can watch yeah it's getting a lot better it's way better for sure and just throwing in the facts and the stories of these surfers like that makes 
the whole thing better. And if you're not catching a wave for 20 minutes and you have other things to show on the show, people will keep watching. Yeah. Paige Holmes works at a fish market. Dun, dun, dun. But on the biggest days, <laughs> she likes to get barreled. That's pretty funny. But um, yeah, I'd say the the big name brands out there um, are in the next few years probably going to attach to it a little bit more and maybe we'll have more opportunities to... Um, showcase our sport thankfully i think that advertising is shifting in a way uh where companies realize the value of honest storytelling uh and they see the value in having values right you see a lot of the companies that are taking a shit right now and it's because they've engaged too much in the self-indulgent nothingness and trying to just be quote unquote cool without having having any type of integrity attached to the way that they produce their products or the type of marketing that they do. And I think that um, there is that market. I sat down with our friend Leah Dawson a couple weeks ago on the show, and and she was talking about how there are a lot of people who who want to um, see women represented in a way that um, isn't just sexualizing them. Yeah. You know, and I do think that that's cool that you are, that the dollars hopefully are starting to shift in that way. And it seems like that's what's going to need to take place for, um, for it to be taken to that next level. For sure. And that comes from the industry too. Like the, the surf industry could be giving these stories and storytelling and sharing, like a lot of the women on the CT are only marketed one way. And they all have these amazing personalities, amazing family background, where they grew up and what their passions are outside of just competing. And it's slowly changing to where you see like certain brands are like, hey, let's tell Carissa's story or Tyler Wright. And um, they, it, things are changing. You can see it. It's just a matter of um, the consistency, I think. And um, I'm lucky that the s- small sponsors that I do have um, – really like sharing my story and that's what they why they like having me as an ambassador or as an athlete and um it makes it really easy for me because i just get to be myself i don't have to put on this show that i'm someone else yeah and um yeah i really like that is it frustrating to see some women making a ton of money by sexualizing themselves i wouldn't say that it's frustrating like it's if you put that energy there, it's it, you're wasting all this energy being negative. And it's I like to try and look at it as a positive way. Like Alana Blanchard is one of my really good friends. We grew up doing contests together, and I think she deserves everything that she has. Um, I think it's a different way than what how I want to market myself, and that's okay too. Um, it would just be nice to see a little bit of that go towards just like the people that are focusing on being athletes and have a different way of marketing um, that appeals to everyone else also, you know, not just body and sexual image. And, um, that's kind of where I try to market myself that way as being an athlete and being a female ambassador for the sport and, um, doing things that I truly love doing. Yeah. And, and and it is a choice. Everyone has the choice. And I think that women should be able to do whatever they want with their bodies and market, market themselves, however they want. Um, the point that Leah brought up was just that it's too bad if you see a, a young 12 year old girl surfing and she thinks that she needs to wear a G string totally. to get sponsored, right? That's where the, the issue happens, but it's not about anyone who truly wants to market themselves that way. Like 
saying that they shouldn't be able to do it. And I do agree with you that focusing on the negative and just being pissed off and cynical doesn't tend to get us anywhere. It's not going to go anywhere, right? It's like we can focus on other things and putting our energy in a better place in a more positive manner. So that's kind of what I... So where are you putting your energy moving forward? What do you want to do? I want to go on some surf trips this summer. Uh, I want to get barreled. (laughs) Um, I want to explore a little bit and meet new... um, new friends and I want to go down to South Africa and kind of connect with the girls down there that are, um, charging dungeons and sunset. And, um, I think having that collaboration with, um, and like we know each other, but we don't really know each other and maybe sharing a story through that, doing a a video piece or, um, a TV project or something. Yeah. Who Um, are some of the women down there? Um, my friend Tammy Lee Smith, I did, um, a few QS events with her in the past and she actually flew out to Maui for the Jaws event for her first time all the way from South Africa with like she had four hours to be at the airport or something crazy like she charged it and um, there's two other girls down there um, that I haven't met or emailed or got in contact with but I plan to nice and it's I think it's just a small community but it is everywhere it's like on Maui there's two of us so it's kind of the same thing and um I'm pretty excited to go gotta get them all together Thundercats assemble yeah for sure and um yeah summertime is kind of or my summertime is spent traveling and exploring and um sharing the stoke of surfing oh yeah (laughs) Uh, positive vibe warriors. Yeah. Are you, you've been to South Africa before though? I have twice, but not in, uh, the last time I was there was seven years ago. You go to Durban? Durban. And the last time I was there, I was staying with Rosie, um, in Queensbury Bay. Rosie Hodges? Yeah. And spent two weeks there and then we drove up to Durban for the contest. Nice. Yeah, it was cool. There are so many different types of, there are so many different South Africas in South Africa. Yeah. Even in a five block radius. There are. You know, that's that's a jarring uh, reality for a lot of people when they go there. Is that they can be going out and getting a few nice drinks and a steak dinner at a beautiful restaurant. And then you walk three blocks to the right and there's a township where people are living dramatically different lives. But I do think that it creates... Um, a type of honesty that you don't see in other parts of the world. I find that most of my South African friends tend to be much more straightforward. Yes, I love them for that. Oh, yeah, it's so great. You can get, it's such a more effective form of communication. It's really nice. Any South African that I've ever met in like surf industry or friends of friends or they're the kindest, easiest people to talk to, super friendly and really special people. Like I consider a few of them really good friends of mine and um they make you feel at home too they're really welcoming they're like come visit us you know i heard one uh definition of wisdom recently i was telling you about this when uh, we yeah. were at, when we were at ihop right <laughs> but I, but it, it pertains to oh god the late night ihop session kyle's Yum. kyle's going on his french toast <laughs> french toast <laughs> rants but i was i was talking about how um Something I heard recently was that wisdom isn't chasing happiness. Wisdom is the ability to be happy and also have the awareness of all the suffering around you or to be suffering and also have the understanding that happiness is still there, right? And I think that 
living in a place like South Africa where you are exposed to so many different worlds creates a type of, of wisdom that is hard to find uh, in a place where you're only surrounded by people who are chasing happiness. Because Agreed. it's easy to forget. For it's sure. very easy to forget that there are people who are in dramatically different realities. That's uh, why from I, you. I encourage all of my friends. It's funny, when I was um, graduating high school, I always had really good grades. I could have gone to college. I graduated with 4.0. And um, all of my friends were going off to college or not. Um, and I my, my college was to go and travel and learn and experience new places. And I have a lot of friends that have grown up on Maui and have been to a couple places um, and have all these opinions and ways of thinking and have never seen anything else. And I'm like, you need to travel and experience the world and gain some wisdom. Yeah. <laughs> and um, or it's such a big world out there and to live on a tiny island and be so opinionated on one, one, one track mind, you know, and um, I love traveling for that. You just get to learn and soak in all these different experiences and history and people and um, makes you think a different way. It really does. And I also think traveling with the intention to really expose yourself to different types of people is important because as an American, it's easy to go to uh, the most far out place in the world and people will still try and cater to you and say, oh, you're an American. Here, there's a McDonald's up the road. Let's go get a Big Mac or... Yeah, yuck. Uh, yeah. And um, I, I mean, that's kind of a metaphor for... Right, yeah. People who can can travel around the world, but still maintain very small worldviews. I do think that it takes that intention of taking yourself outside of your comfort zone. Yeah, being uncomfortable. Yeah. You learn so much about yourself and other people. Can what you, a concept. Why? Yeah, <laughs> it sounds lame. Do it. <laughs> uh, can you think of an early trip that you took that really blew your mind? My first trip out as an adult was to Indonesia and that was a huge eye-opener for me like I'd seen pictures and talked to friends that have been there a million times but when you see it in person for the first time and travel to this like going to Bali 12 years ago is a lot different than it is now um, but just seeing the way that these people live and it's very simple and how happy and kind everyone was um, that was a huge eye-opener for me. And then going to South Africa was a huge eye-opener. That was a few years later. I think it was 19 when I first went there. And that was rad. When like, you were in Indonesia, what are some of the defining characteristics that stuck with you? Were there any I'd say how poor everybody was. Yeah. Um, poor in a sense of financial poorness, not in life. But... Um, like the haggling and like it makes their day if they sell you a t-shirt for five dollars instead of one you know and that sort of um I'd say and the environmental issues like how dirty and gnarly and how much trash there was on the streets now it's a lot cleaner it's a big difference from 10 years ago you know it's pretty cool to see that transition but how dirty everything was and there was just no awareness about that like they didn't know that drinking a a thing of water in a plastic cup with a plastic straw and chucking it out the window was bad. They had no idea. Like the first time I ever saw that was in Indo and with my taxi driver. And I was like, 
no yeah. wait blah blah blah, blah. what you are you do- doing yeah. and it happened multiple times and i was shocked because they just had no idea yeah um so that was a huge eye-opener for me that part of it the environmental issue right well before uh bali became a tourist destination um and since people lived on those islands they would use banana leaves to wrap all of their um everything that they were eating all their food and you can throw a banana leaf out the window and it biodegrades but then when the products shifted to a plastic economy and the waste management systems couldn't catch up it created a huge issue there's that iconic photo that zach noyle took of uh the indonesian surfer getting barreled and there's plastic bags going over his head yeah the trash and the uh the liquid waste issue in in indonesia is a really big deal there's a group called uh Project Clean Uluwatu, holla! They're over in uh, on Uluwatu, and they in- installed a liquid waste processing system no that way. yeah that allowed um, the vendors on the side of that cliff mm-hmm. to process their liquid waste without it going straight out into the ocean. Wow! Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, so it is shifting. There are a lot of groups that are working to catch up, and I do agree that it is getting better. Um, as a result of a lot of a lot of the media coming out for sure so that was yeah for me that was those were a few different moments of of having my eyes opened and um realizing that i lived on a tiny beautiful island in the middle of nowhere and um were there any conversations that you had with uh anyone from indonesia or from south africa that you remember I remember yelling at my taxi driver to not throw his plastic <laughs> out his window. Um, I had so many. It was like my first trip to South Africa, I was picked up by, um, well, my boyfriend and I went together and we were picked up at the airport by a friend of a friend who we'd never met before. And we had spoken on the phone to him once and he said, you're staying at my house in Durban. No worries. I have a little car for you. I'll pick you up at the airport. And that alone was just so amazing. Like, I'd, we'd never met the guy before and he picked us up and he picked up three other people that we didn't know that were there for the contest with board bags and didn't have a ride to their hotel and gave them a ride to their hotel and showed us around and gave us a little like dune buggy sort of car to drive around in Durban, showed us around, showed us where not to stop and where, what roads to take and that sort of thing. And, um, that was just insane for me being 18 at the time and having, someone halfway or like literally as far as I could possibly travel from Hawaii being so open and so welcoming and so inviting. Um, like I'd have, I've had those experiences before, but this one was just like insane. Oh, it's so genuine. It's it was so, so genuine. genuine. And it was just amazing. Like my Sean and I were looking at each other, like he's giving these guys a ride. Like, why don't we do that? Sort right. of your, stuff, your boyfriend, you know? Sean. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I'd say just that whole trip was amazing. Like the place, the people, and the way of thinking is just so much different than here, for sure. Oh, this is making me want to go back. Oh, I'm excited. Before you take off, if you or someone you know is a good musician, send me some stuff over. I'd love to play the music at the end of my podcast. I'll give you credit, and I will link to your band page on my website, kyle.surf. Head over to kyle.surf and get in touch with me. And with that, I'm going to leave you with some groovy reggae music by Jerry Johnson. This is a song called Just Coolin'. All right, get out in the water, give someone a high five. I'll see you guys soon.